0: Welcome to the Changemaker Compass podcast, a podcast series hosted through UNA USA, a movement of Americans standing up for the United Nations. I'm your host, Dustin Liu. Within this podcast, we'll have the chance to hear from those working on the ground, tackling today's most pressing issues, and learn about ways we can work together to build a better world. Today, we'll be talking with Nishal Bonskoda, founder of Nepal Tea, on the importance of fostering youth entrepreneurship in honor of Global Entrepreneurship Week. Nishal, welcome to the show. Hey, Dustin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. Pleasure. Let's start in with a check-in round, and relevant to your experiences and your background, what was your first memory of tea?: Oh well, that's something I actually have to think about. I uh, honestly, I grew up uh, I was actually born
1: in a tea farm, so I was born in the middle of tea farm, and uh, it was um, 1991. Um, but I only spent like 17 months in the tea farm and then I was moved to Kathmandu. Um, But if if I had to think about my earliest memory, um, it's a very interesting question because you don't kind of try to uh, think about like all those uh, times. But I think it was in grade um, six, I believe. Um, And that was the time when I was just sipping my own um, tea that my father had actually started. Um, And my mom brought it and... We weren't allowed to drink coffee in our farm. Uh, Sorry, coffee in our family, just because of a lot of other reasons. But yeah, that was, I think in grade six was kind of my earliest memory of tea. And it was not the tea that I sell right now. It's a completely different form of, it was more of a chai. How about you? Um, Yeah, what's your earliest memory of tea though?
0: Yeah, Nishal, I have to think back to the time that I spent with my family in Taiwan. Growing up, we spent a lot of time there. Uh, My parents are immigrants from Taiwan, and, and we used to go back home and visit our family. And I'll never forget every time I stepped into my, uh, my mom's father's house, my grandfather's house, he would always be brewing tea because he always felt like it was customary as soon as people stepped into the door to, to smell the tea that he was making and to serve them tea right away. So regardless whether it was family or strangers, um, just my earliest memories are just him sitting by the tea kettle that he loved so much and he used to brew it in a traditional Taiwanese fashion. And, and it was just always a ceremonial way in which we started our, our visits to Taiwan. So I think that's my, that's my earliest memory of tea.
1: That's that's really amazing just because, um, yeah, that's actually the better version of tea that you guys are drinking already. Like Taiwanese oolongs are just, it's so popular in the whole world. And I love them. I have a lot of stash here as well. Uh, But yeah, that's that's amazing.
0: Absolutely. Next time I'm in Taiwan, I'll definitely bring you some (laughs) Nishal. Um, So moving into our conversation, I I always like to start out by giving you a little bit of space, or our guests a little bit of space to to share about their human bio. You know, and and so so who is Nishal? Well, um, yeah. If you um, so, I personally think uh,
1: myself. um, It's just a very um, normal very average uh, kind of person. Um, one of the things, um, my I think the best way to describe me is who I'm most inspired by in some ways. And my biggest inspiration is a seven-year-old kid. Um, and that's a whole long story, but to cut it short, um, when I was in college and I had an opportunity to go to um, one of the um, uh, villages, so I wanted to become a CPA. Um, that's why I came to the U.S., but I had to went to a liberal arts college and uh, completely shifted my perspective. So I went to this uh, village of to uh, t- I took American students from Colby Sawyer College, then took them to um, uh, this village uh, where um, there was this um, school, um, first private free school in Nepal, and we were doing making a classroom for the underprivileged children, and that that was the time when I basically, I want to say, I'm telling all these stories because that's when I really found myself. So I cast this question to the seven-year-old and he basically, uh, what I asked him was, what did you want to become? And seven-year-old kid, he says, I want to become a teacher. And I was just fascinated. I started asking more questions. I was like, why do you want to become a teacher? Not expecting any answers, but he was, what he said was, I have been very fortunate to be in the school um, and there are so many other children in our own country that are deprived of education and I want to become a teacher to help them. And just thinking about that response completely killed the CPA in me right there and then. And that's when I found that what I was um, doing all this time until like 21 years of age was taking a lot of th- things for granted, um, and that's when I realized, um, you know, what I what my mission in life would be. Basically, so if you had to describe me after this whole long story, so basically, I, I, um, I, um, I would describe myself as um, a person who basically um, exists to help. Um, and um, give back to people who are not as fortunate as me. And I find my passion and my happiness in seeing that happiness in these other people. Um, so that's kind of my guiding um, perspective uh, in life. But, uh, well, um, I I bring Nepali teas um, from Nepal and distributed here in the U.S. as my profession. Um, and I started this in 2015, uh, 2016, actually. Um, and I've been doing this ever since. And I love um, what I do right now.
0: You know, I love that story because I think it captures the childish wonder that we all have when we're younger, right? So when we're seven, when we're eight, the world seems to be filled with possibility. Nishal, I'm curious, you know, you talked about that life-changing moment around 21, 22. But even before that, did you have moments in your life where you felt moved for social impact or moved to make social change?
1: Yeah, um I one of the major what I I vividly remember that um in Nepal education is completely different. It's a lot more theoretical. So there aren't any practical implica- applications of education as it is in the US, right? So I still remember um when I was in um high school, uh basically um I wasn't satisfied with what, how things are going, like how uh, things were being taught. It was basically, you know, um, teachers would come in and they would just say whatever, uh, read from the books. And you weren't allowed to ask questions. You were supposed to stay at the back, sit quietly, that was the best student. And you wouldn't allowed to argue with the teachers and all of that. That bothered me to a very big extent. Right. Um, and then that's, that's why I actually wanted to pursue education in the United States, because I knew it was a little different. I didn't know how different, but it was, I knew it was a little different. Um, so during that time in my high school, what I did was me along with my seven other like-minded friends, um, we were really not satisfied with what was going on. And also, so that's when we started uh, Vibes newspaper. It was a monthly national newspaper that we started with zero budget. Basically, seven of us right after, school, uh, after high school will just get together and start creating stuff. And that was my earliest memory of how you can, um, you know, with like a very small idea, uh, you can actually kind of start changing things. And with Zero Budget, we started that. By the end of a year, we had 30 volunteers um, who worked for the newspaper. And this was all very amateurish, right? But we had journalists from uh, Al Jazeera come in and they provided us with free space. We started getting advertisements and all of that kind of stuff. It was growing. It was great. Right. And then um, one of the best things was uh, we were always discussing um, issues which are never really black and white. Um, We were discussing how tourism and, um, you know, wildlife, um, how that can how is that an issue? Uh, from different perspectives. We were thinking about capital punishment, how that's an issue from two different sides of things. Um, The um, festival where you kill a lot of animals in Hinduism, right? How that's a difficult issue to talk about in two different sides, uh, from two different sides, from religious sides and from animal welfare side, right? So we were always discussing these kind of issues and writing about these, posting about these things. I I think that was my biggest... um, satisfaction when I was able to talk about these issues and at the same time, make other people aware from uh, other people aware uh, about the uh, other side or the other perspective. And that was kind of like very empowering and very satisfying um, also. So I think that would be kind of like my other idea of um, how I started to think about social impact um, um, in general. And, Right when I was saying that, I think, I thought about a very early memory uh, where um, I went to my farm right before I came to the United States. Um, um, Actually, when I was in middle school. Um, So I went back to the farm um, and that was the first time. I I came to Kathmandu, which is the city, in like 17 months, right? So I had no memories whatsoever of the farm. But that was the first time I went uh, back to my farm. And everybody knew me because uh, I was basically the son of the chairman of the T estate. So everybody actually knew who I was. I, on the other hand, did not know anybody. Um, And I still remember there was this, uh, my father was not there. And there was this small, um, um, you know, argument among these workers. Um, And they came to me and said, hey, would you resolve this for us? And I, being very naive and in a very difficult situation where I was supposed to apparently uh, settle the whole argument there, I thought I was like, I. they thought I was kind of like the person who were supposed to um, help them. Uh, but at that time, I completely could not understand that responsibility. I thought, no way, you guys are elders. Like, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Like, I'm sorry. And that kind of like clicked in me saying, you know, even though I was very young, these people saw kind of like an obligatory responsibility in me uh, to solve their problems. And I realized like years later how that would completely entail what's happening now because I'm actually helping them resolve their problems right now with the tea farm. So like everything is connected, I guess.
0: I want to take a step back and have you uh, share a little bit about Nepal tea. You know, tell me a little bit about how that started. I think I definitely see connections to your personal narrative, but you know, what's the model of change and how did you kickstart that?
1: Yeah. Um, so I really, um, Rather than going to my story personally, I would like to start with my father's story. And I'm sorry if I'm not brief. That's one of my biggest problems, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, so I am very inspired by my father. When he was uh, 15 years old, um, and he was this rebellious child, right? So he never kind of, um, he did not have like very formal education as well. So it, this is, the time is basically 70s, early 70s. And he was, uh, he had a chance to visit Darjeeling, which is kind of like right nearby our eastern village. So he had a chance to visit Darjeeling. Um, And what he saw over there was all these tea farmers having a decent life, um, putting their children into um, schools and all that, right? And then he kind of reflected back to his own village where nothing was happening. People were struggling to put foods on their plates. And that's when he came back to his village and then he said, Hey, and this is at a very young age, as a teenager, he was basically pitching to 50 year old um, kind of like a local parliament, basically. Right. He went there and he said, hey, you know what? Like our neighbors right across the border are doing amazing things and they are living a decent life. We have the same topography. We have the same climate. We basically have the same thing. Why don't we do this? But maybe this is the means to get ourselves out of poverty. So basically everybody laughed at him um say seeing this 16 17 year old kid pitch um about getting every the whole community out of poverty was obviously like nobody was interested but he did not lose hope um so what he did was he researched a lot about tea and with my mother they started this uh they got some plants and um, started planting them in their backyard and it takes four years for the tea plants to mature and start producing tea leaves. Um, so after four years, all these villagers actually saw what the potential was. So what they did was basically told my father, hey, you know what, you were right. Just take our lands, the lands that we're not using, and then start a tea farm. And that's how the whole tea farm basically started. And the interesting part over here, it was more than 100 farmers pooled their lands together, to form the first organic certified tea company in Nepal. And in 1984, it was formally started. So the interesting model here is the farmers are the owners themselves. So they're not just employees. They're actually the owners themselves. And that was how the whole idea started to form. And the for my story begins basically with the story about the seven-year-old who completely changed my perspective, And then that was also right after when I graduated in 2015, there was this big earthquake um, in Nepal. And I booked a ticket for three months um, to go to Nepal and help volunteer and all of that. And then as I was doing that, I was volunteering and um, I was helping um, build my community there. I completely loved it. And I um, um, canceled my return ticket and ended up staying for nine months. Um, during that nine months, I helped. Um, I got a deeper understanding of the model that our farm was um, being run at. And it was just amazing. It was the best thing that I could actually get because I had a degree in business. So I was all I always wanted to do some form of business. But at the same time the whole experience in that school with that seven-year-old had completely shifted my perspective. And I wanted to prove or be involved or create a model where businesses are actually forces for good. I want to convey that message where, you know, well, nonprofits and all these other organizations might sometimes struggle with getting grants and maybe not completing the whole long journey of making an impact, but businesses if they are done right, with the right purpose, I think they are so sustainable that you can actually be so much more impactful. And that's the way to social change. Um, And with that, what we did was a lot of other projects came into light where we provide free housing for all of the full-time farmers who cannot afford it. Similarly, we have already provided 2300 scholarships uh, for all the full-time farmers' children. To go to school, there are almost 40 students who have already graduated, and they are leading their lives themselves, earning a good um, uh, salaries and giving back to the society themselves. We also have Cow Bank Project, which is very sustainable, one of my favorite projects that we do, uh, which is we distribute cows to our farmers, and they are able to sell their dairy products and all of that to the market for extra income. And the only contract for them is the first calf that they give birth to that has to be returned back to the farmers. Sorry, back to the factory so that we can distribute it to another farmer. So we, when we started with uh, 36 cows with the addition of another 30, um, now we have almost 176 cows in the cow bank project. So that's very self-sustaining. And the manure... Um, so the cow dung um, is actually a good manure for the tea plant. So we, as a factory, again, buy that from them. So which is another form of income for them and themselves. That, and then I also started a thrift store, uh, the first of its kind, um, in the farm itself where it got really popular because I even I was guilty of hoarding a lot of clothes and never wearing them and taking all these things for granted. But, um, but yeah, so... Those are a lot of things that we actually do in the farm. Um, So my model of change basically is you cannot tackle uh, the whole issue um, of um, like the bigger issues of poverty to just one thing. Right. Um, You can you have to tackle it in a way that is very um, encompassing of all of the other structures in place. So, for example, you cannot just tackle poverty with by paying them fair wedges or giving them higher income. They need to be motivated to send their ch- uh, children to school. They need to be motivated to have, provide better health conditions to their children. So all of these things needs to be in place. And the reason why I started Nepality was because this was the perfect model where in the farm, we're not just tackling one issue. So if you tell me about what are, which sustainable development goals uh, do you work for, I have eight of them. The reason I have eight of them is because we tackle all these issues in a collaborative effort, right? And, um, so, and that's my model for change. So if we can tackle all these problems from a very uh, big um, and kind of like a uh, community perspective, I think that's how we start to change uh, the community and get them out of poverty.
0: Nishal, at the start of the podcast, you talked about how you're a normal person, right? You're very ordinary, but but what you just described was absolutely extraordinary, the impact that you're having on this community and individual families, and really thinking about the deep rooted systemic challenges that they face. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about, you know, what advice do you have for young people who are hoping to embark on a social venture or be a social entrepreneur themselves?
1: Um, I always always say one thing that might be a little counterintuitive, but um, one thing is start early. Start. If you're thinking about starting, start. Don't waste your time uh, about making things perfect and then starting. Start now. Even if it's very small steps, take it. Start now. And then the most important thing is... um, if you want to start an enterprise or a business or an organization whatever don't do too much research. I think that's a very counterintuitive argument but the reason I say that is if I had known starting Nepalti in the US is so difficult with so many laws and regulations and all of these things had I known that when I was starting in 2016 I would have never started it. So being be a little naive. When you are naive in when you're starting, when you do not know anything, do you need to know, obviously, your market and all that kind of stuff. But don't try to get so deep into the business where you try to research everything, even without starting or taking any steps. My whole idea or the reason I am able to do what I do right now is because I was naive at that time. I knew I had a purpose. I knew I wanted to do this. I did not have much research and I went for it. I was by the time I found out how difficult it is, I was already so immersed that backing out was not an option. So that's what I love about it and my whole biggest advice is just start and be a little naive when you start. Don't do too much research. It's going to it's going to be a little counterintuitive though.
0: I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about you know, what, what worked in, in your situation, what programs, what people, what mentors, what adult allies, you know, you know, what, what worked and what was the secret sauce or, or what were components of your journey that were fundamental to the success that you're seeing today?
1: So there's a lot of things, but if I had to take some of the things, I think one thing is persistence. Um, you have to persist. Um, Nothing is easy. Obviously, I compare um, um, business t- or any or running an organization to kind of like exercising in some ways, where you don't see results like today and tomorrow, right? You need to persist. You need to take your time to persist and have that patience to kind of see the results uh, because it's for a longer run. And I think that's one of the main things that uh, really helped me. Uh, get to where I am right now, is persistence. The second thing is obviously people. Uh, People, the reason I say that is because when you're in a a path that you really believe in, I think what happens is people are excited that you are there and they want to help. You will find very few people who will deny you of help. If you actually ask with the right motive and the right heart, you will probably get very less denial. Um, And uh, people are actually very happy to help. And that was the case in my story as well. Like, I had help from random, random people that I would have never expected. For example, the Kickstarter that I did, I had a goal of $32,000 to raise in a month. And within a couple of days, there were three, two strangers that donated $5,000 in the campaign. Who would have thought, right? I don't even know these people. I didn't know these people at that time, right? So that, plus when I was bringing the shipment, the first shipment um, from Nepal to here, I had no idea how to deal with all these customs and everything. There was a random person who helped me out and basically took uh, took kind of like the whole day for me for him to help me out there was no reason i was just in a way naive and i asked for help so never never hesitate to ask for help because people are very willing to help that's the second thing third thing is get into accelerators incubators all these programs one of the game changing game changers for me was watson um, i went to Watson, I had always loved. So let me uh, say this in a a little different way, where I know when you're starting a business, what I felt was entrepreneurship or running a business when you're very early, it's lonely, very lonely, because you're the one person who's like, thinking about everything and trying to do all these things. It's very lonely. But you'll find your space when you find people like you who are trying to do all of these things. And like these accelerator programs, the incubator programs and just um, other various different programs which bring together all these social uh, leaders and just people who are working towards something to change the world. um, That's where you click. I have friends from all around the globe because of these um, uh, platforms and Watson, especially that really gave me a platform where. I was, I came out of like a four, three years of loneliness, but a lonely entrepreneurial journey. And then I get into this four months course where I'm living in a completely new space with almost 20 different people from various different countries and sharing my life and learning about their life. It was the perfect, perfect blend of, you know, what you can get or what you can achieve from that. Um, I was one of the most senior um, in terms of age uh, in that group, uh, in our cohort. But that also helped me to kind of help other people not do the same mistakes that I did in my journey. So that, that really helped. And I was able to exercise my leadership in a better sense, in a very bigger community from people from all over the world. And the connection and the network that I made, those are lifelong. It's I still talk to almost every we have a whole group chat that's still active and I'm very close to a lot of um, the people and we still stay in touch. We help each other out. And that's just that's just fantastic. So just network and people like get into these programs because those will be those will be the getaways to um, kind of accelerate um, your venture. Um, And it has definitely been for me as well. Because if I were not in Watson, one of the big accomplishments, if I was not in Watson, I would have not met my biggest uh, buyer um, for ROTs. So at the end, it really works out.
0: Why is it important for young people to step up? You talked a lot about you know the creativity, the innovation that young people bring to the table. But in your words, why is it important that young people stand up and, and start pushing the needle forward on these really complex? social issues?
1: Yeah, I think um, I recall what I said um, in Belgium when I was selected for this young leader program in 2017. What we were advocating, um, there were 16 young leaders from all over the world. And what we were really advocating was why youth should be included in decision making. So why that's important, why it's very important for youth to step up is because all of the leaders, if you think about it, all of the leaders in developing countries, developed countries, wherever, a lot of these people are from either one or almost two generations uh, more than us, right? So, whatever, they might not have that, um, what, what they will be making decisions will not necessarily be what we are complying or what we are envisioning the world for. So, It's very important for us to step up so that we can at least guide them or tell them that, hey, the decisions that you guys are making for the world is going to impact us more than you guys because we will be the next uh, generation that's going to come up and live with whatever the decisions that you guys made. So if we do not step up, If we do not uh, uh, get our voices heard and if we do not help them uh, or tell them that these are the issues that we uh, think should work, these are the things that needs to change. If we don't say that, they're going to only do those things that are good or that they think are good for their generation. So it might not really align with what we want to see in the future. And that's why there's a lot of conflict, obviously. But yeah, if we do not step up now, we're going to live in a generation which was, uh, we're, we're going to live in the results of uh, this decision-making power, decision-making of these other uh, higher generation. And that might not really align. So it's that's kind of like a very simple reason why we need to step up.
0: We'll move into our rapid fire section of our conversation. Um, So I just ask that you keep this brief and brilliant and answer it in 10 or 15 seconds. Um, Nishal, what's the best advice you have ever received?
1: Best advice I've ever received. Well, that's a very interesting one. Um, It was the same advice that I am giving you. Be naive when you're starting out.
0: What do you hope to see in 2030?
1: A world where no children um, will have, every every single children in the world will be able to go to school and get good education.
0: I know that you're working on a lot of SDGs, but if you had to pick one, what SDG are you most passionate about and why?
1: Oh, that's a very difficult one because I'm passionate about a lot of them. But if I had to choose absolutely one for a shorter term, a no poverty, uh, goal number one, uh, that's because I am really, really working to help all of the tea farmers in the world break their vicious cycle of poverty within their own generation.
0: And how can listeners get involved in your work?
1: So there's a lot of different ways uh, people can get into um, um, the work that I'm doing is we recently started uh, Nepal Tea Foundation, which is a nonprofit wing of our company. And we have a lot of projects uh, there going on, which will which are concentrated within education and empowerment side of things. And those, both of those go hand in hand. There's a lot of programs out there. Go check out um, nepalteafoundation.org, uh, where there's a lot of ways to get involved. Um, second thing is uh, two things, actually. Uh, it's related to tea, but it goes, goes a long way, which is the first thing is only drink organic tea. The only reason I say that. Or you need to know where the source is. So the reason I say that is because if you're not drinking organic teas, the first time any chemical that was sprayed on the tea leaves or whatever, the first time it's going to get rinsed is your cup because there's no washing involved in the tea process. So for your health and for other health of the farmers, really uh, drink organic teas. Um, And the other, um, uh, other thing is know your source. We... When we consumers start asking questions about, you know, where was this tea from? Where was this coffee from? Who were the people that made these coffees? All of those interesting questions. What happens essentially is you are not, if you ask those questions, you are really not allowing the unwarranted middleman to reap the benefits of the farmers. So farmers will get better pay just because of that question. it It's a whole... Um, circle and a whole chain I can explain that you know that'll be another hour but basically yes know your source start out asking that questions if you do that that's going to help um, in the longer run to all of these farmers or any producers in the, the primary producers in any different countries
0: awesome well Nishal just thank you so much for your time and, and your belief for community partnerships I really enjoyed learning about your journey as a social entrepreneur and look forward to continuing to support your work Thanks for listening to this episode of Changemaker Compass. If you'd like to learn more about UNA USA, find us at unausa.org. If you'd like to follow along my journey and learn when new episodes of Changemaker Compass are released, follow me at USYouthObserver on social media. If you have suggestions for the podcast, you can reach me at USYouthObserver at unausa.org. So grateful to have you part of our podcast audience. Look out for our next episode coming out soon.